Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome the athletic football show i'm robert may is joining me today my good friend nate tice nate how you doing buddy i'm doing very well uh, we uh we have a new addition to our family and apparently new uh intro music for our podcast for the youtube show that was pretty we got some beats <laughs> happening every single week i'm kind of like i'm su- pleasantly surprised but no i'm doing it was very, so funny because well. last week when the first song kicked in i was like oh, i kind of missed the beats and then the second one kicked in, i was like everyone has redeemed themselves we're all good <laughs> i'm very into this now hey it was great congratulations Thank you. I'm so happy you so for you and Lauren. I'm so happy for your family. I am very excited to meet little Jack at some point. Uh, I'm yes. a podcast uncle. He is a member of yes, the Athletic Football Show family. The Athletic Football Show family is much bigger now. And yes. uh, I'm very excited for you, but I'm also excited to have you back. Oh, thank you, man. I, I We are very excited. I really appreciate that. I honestly and everyone that reached out on Twitter or else, elsewhere, really appreciate you, all the love you guys sent. I overwhelmed this is really the word like people say that like oh overwhelmed by the support and everything i actually was so i really appreciate everybody and especially you my man i'm very excited to be back though uh watching film while uh feeding my newborn son last night was <laughs> something i'm gonna have to get used to so that's uh that's something we're, we're all evolving with the with the season and uh, the new times we got a lot to dig into today we're going to talk about mac jones and Zach Wilson playing against each other this week with the Jets and the Patriots. Dig into Washington a little bit. We haven't really talked about the Washington football team at all, but they strung together a couple wins. Went back and watched the Eagles game. Thought there was a lot to chew on there. We're going to discuss what might be going on with the Eagles and the Bills. You know, two teams that were supposed to win their respective conferences kind of cruise. They've hit a little bit of a speed bump. I think there's a lot to analyze and dig into there. But let's start with what I think is the game of the week, and that is the Vikings playing against the Cowboys. 
Vikings coming off a huge win against Buffalo last week. Cowboys, little bit of a letdown against a Packers team that has left us wanting so far this season. This is a monstrous game in the yeah. NFC and in the NFC playoff race. The Vikings, if they win games like this, and they can beat some teams where, I mean, they're not favored this week. The Cowboys are favored to win this game. They can win some games they're technically not supposed to win. The number one seed is there. Like the Eagles' right. schedule is incredibly easy, but the Vikings aren't exactly playing a bunch of world beaters down the stretch. So we'll see what happens with that. I think this is an important game for Dallas just, again, to get a better sense of what they are offensively. We talked about this heading into last week when you were doing fatherly duties. The Cowboys really hadn't played a decent defense with Dak back until they had to play against the Packers last week, and it was sort of an up-and-down performance. So a lot of big-picture implications in this game. Let's start, though, with your impressions from last week. I haven't talked to you about the Vikings since they beat the Bills and how it might change your perception of what you think about Minnesota. So when you watch that game, rewatch that game this week, what jumped out to you about the way that the Vikings played? Let's say on defense first. On oh, defense. Yeah, I, I really like with the defense is that they are so intelligent. And just so well coached. The first thing I, I was focusing more on the Bills when I watched that game and, and was previewing it and scouting it or all 22 viewing it as I'm feeding with, you know, feeding my son and with one hand and I'm fast forwarding and rewinding. But I, I watched it and just how they communicate, especially on the back end. And I also just like how the defensive, uh, uh, based on the down and distance, they have a real identity and a game plan each week. I shouldn't say identity. I should just say, they're very well scouted and well coached in the sense of first and second details. down, we're going to do this. Yes, details. Third down, they change up their looks, just little tweaks each week. We talk about offenses doing this a lot, and I'll talk about some other offenses on the show, but their defense is a good indicator or a good version of this. Like as far as we run against this team, let's put Zadarius Smith over this guy on a third down pass rush. We talk about Micah Parsons doing this, but Zadarius Smith as well, and he's been dominant in that spinner role, which is a term I haven't used in a while, but Zadarius Smith is the premier spinner. And that is when a guy is standing up, lining up, a usual edge rusher is lined up on the inside, standing up, and they really are just picking your the weak link on the offensive line. I just think that the Vikings understand every coverage. They have those vets on the back end. Patrick Peterson on the first couple drives against the Bills was so cool to watch a corner communicating so well with other DBs. Him and Harrison Smith are just kind of going, yep, got it, got it. It's really cool watching DB play and offensive line play have these kind of similarities. Offensive line, especially veteran, like a right guard and a right tackle, will won't even communicate. They'll just go, yep, got it. Like if a defense shifts, this is the defensive version of that. You see a DB in a corner kind of go, thumbs up, we got it. Motion, motion, yep, we got it. push, push. I thought that it's really cool to watch this team do that because they're, they're really not going to beat themselves. Um, sometimes they might get, have some matchup issues, but they're not going to get put in bad positions. Uh, it's, it's enjoyable to watch more enjoyable than I thought maybe going in. And they had a couple of sneaky standout guys that I know we want to anoint as uh, athletic football show all stars <laughs> before the show's over. The, the Vikings defense is in a pretty interesting spot. You know, they've been middle of the road for most of the season and, They've had the benefit of mostly being healthy. You know, Cam Dantzler is really the only guy on the back end that they've lost. And I think that continuity has helped them with the two safeties playing a lot. Patrick Peterson being healthy. You can tell that communication and them being on the same page is a huge part of why they've been able to have some success this year. And the details stick out to me because you watch them play his own coverage and guys being at different 
depth depths in like when you watch them play quarters like they know exactly like what depths to be at on the back end. We're like, it's right. hard to tell which coverage they're playing because like based on the structure of the offense, they're cheating yeah. just a little bit to put themselves in the right spots. Cause they it's go the Bills- kind of no man's land, yeah. like kind of like that 10, 12 year area. Cause they know they the drive never on guarding stuff. grass. And that yeah. like, that's when you see teams that are really good de- zone defensive teams, they're never guarding grass and they don't have elite athletes, right? Like Jordan Hicks is on this team. Harrison Smith is on this team. Patrick Peterson's on this team. This isn't 2013. Like they don't have that many guys that are like these eye popping players, especially in the back seven, but they're just very smart and they play together very well and they consistently give teams a hard time because of it. And then you have guys like you just mentioned, I did not expect to rewatch that Bills game and just enjoy the hell out of watching James Lynch, number (laughs) 92 for the Vikings. (laughs) I mean, these are these moments when you go back and watch some of these games and it's like, holy shit, who's that guy? I mean, he made multiple really nice plays against the run. And the Vikings are a team. Dalvin Tomlinson's not playing, which is one of the reasons he's getting more snaps. But the Vikings play with the lightest boxes in the league. So you need those front four guys to really take up a lot of gaps and take up a lot of bodies up front. And he was doing that for them. And it's just so fun to see guys like that step up to the moment, have their little flourishes when they get their chance. And that's what this Vikings team has been this year. It's just guys doing little things pretty well. And I think that's allowed them to excel, even if they don't have any really elite players outside of the guys that they have up front. Yeah. And it's cool how they, again, this is guys taking advantage of the matchups they're given because again, this, I think this Vikings coaching staff on the defensive side really puts these guys in good spots because you'll see a lot of slanting of these guys or guys exchanging gaps, um, whether linebackers or defensive linemen, based on you can tell formation looks. Um, uh, he had a great play. Lynch had a great tackle, or really, he didn't make the tackle, but he disrupted into the backfield. He slanted all the way over to the B gap and pushed the guard into the backfield and allowed someone else to make a TFL on a run play against yes. the Bills. And it was, it it was, was like a three yard loss. It was a huge play. Yep. And it was just, it, he took advantage of what they're doing. They're causing disruption, but he has to take advantage of that. And he was able to do so. He's only 23 and he's in his third year, which is pretty remarkable. He didn't get line. a lot of running. I think he played like 300 total snaps last year. Yep. And that's why it's cool to see when a new staff comes in. Some of these guys, when they get an opportunity, are they playing yes. a little bit better? I mean, no, Ed right. Donatel is considered like one of the best defensive backs coaches in the entire NFL. Yep. When you think about what he's done at all these different stops, and now he's getting his chance as a coordinator. And I think this yep. team is really well coached. You know who they remind me of a little bit? The Bengals. Yeah. Where That's they don't have many smart players, DBs. especially, but really smart veteran DBs. And then your yep. real difference maker is up front. With Z yeah. and Daniil Hunter, and those are the guys that can really change yeah. the game. And that's kind of how Trey Hendrickson felt last year. They don't do yep. as much crazy shit on the back end. Nope. Like, it's very nope. by-the-book Fangio stuff. Yep. Like, we're running quarters, we're running six, we're doing this. Yep. It's all like We're running standard. this, and we're going to read it out perfectly. We're not, yes. <laughs> not going to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> yes. But the baseline <laughs> reasons that they can excel as a defense, yep. I think, are very similar. And if you look at what the 2000 21 Bengals were they were like 17th in defensive DVOA like you don't have to be a dominant ass kicking unit every single week to still be something a group that can contain an offense for three games in the playoffs or you have a couple moments where it's like all right we can put a game plan together for one single week so I I was really encouraged watching them Uh, how are you feeling about Dallas right now I'm feeling actually pretty optimistic about them I uh I just tweeted this yeah I I, I, I'm such a sucker for this offense. And I will I know, be forever. I, and ever, and I can't get away from it. And I, I'm just, 
you know, it's not perfect. It, the offense is not perfect. Like there are uh, um, the first interception that Dak threw into the end zone. Two guys are running the same route. And, you know, that happened a that couple happened times in that game. It did. It did. And also um, the other pick, uh, it was the second to last drive in the first half. They ran a 989 concept. CD Lamb is reading the route. Uh, that eight route is either a dig or a post. The Packers ran a nice little funky changeup. They ran a three deep cover two. And CD, you could tell he he hesitates just slightly. He ends up reading it right. He goes, Oh, this is this is Tampa two, but just with a safety in the middle. So he ends up going deep. Dak sees it and goes, Oh, single high. There's a safety right in front of me. And so yeah. he tries to rip a dig. And they're trying to play fast. And that's what happens when you read routes. That's why I've never been a huge, huge fan of route reading. 99 is an exception because it's a great play. It's a perfect play. It's so simple and perfect. <laughs> but that's where the 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 downside of that is. Having said that, this offense is is fun, man. Like I I'm I'm just a sucker for it. I really am. They just they're throwing they're we we wanted to see more of those easy buttons with Dak back. And they're hitting them. They're, they I saw some RPOs in this game. They ran a, a power play with double slants. They hit CD on. They had a smoke throw to Michael Gallup. They're running Dak more. I, I know they had a couple QB sneaks in this game, but the fact that they're using Dak on QB sneaks was something they weren't doing last year. They kind of got away from it because he was injured. And I, and I understand why. He had nine designed rushes, Dak did, in all of 2021. He has eight already in four games in 2022. So that that's another easy button they can hit, especially in short yardage. They have fun wrinkles every single game against the Bears. They did the 0-3 personnel with three tight ends, two wide receivers, mm-hmm. CeeDee Lamb in the backfield. That seems gimmicky. But also, there, I, I've thought about it more and more. I wrote about it in my, my Rewind article. That was when Zeke got hurt and Pollard was – they were going to give Pollard a bunch of touches and they did that game. That was a way to get Pollard a break. So they honestly – they had no running backs on the field. Pollard just took a break for the entire drive. So he was able to catch his breath. And I was like, I was like, that's a fun, creative way to do that. They went tempo. Um, I think they're doing a great job of using tempo. They caught the Packers a couple times, including if you watch it all 22, you can see – uh, Matt LaFleur about 10 yards onto the field yelling out to the ref as the ball play is going, which was <laughs> hilarious. Like, yeah, I just stuff like that. They, um, they had the gadget plays in the red zone. Like they, 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 the run game's really good. I, I love what they're doing in the run game and they're having guys step up. Um, that when we were talking in August, we we're previewing some of these playoff teams and offenses. We kind of like, oh man, I, I was optimistic. And then as we talked, I kind of became more pessimistic about the Cowboys. I was offense. just pessimistic. Yeah. And I kind of like met you in the middle. <laughs> and they, Tyler Smith is, is a bona fide starting left tackle in this league. And I think it's going to be a very, very good one. He already looks above average to good as a rookie left tackle, especially in the run game. Oh my God. And he's so athletic and he's strong. His hands have gotten so much better at staying inside. He finishes. He's smart. I can tell he understands what's going on. I think they're very well coached. They um, also Jake Ferguson, go Badgers. That's letting them go into 12 personnel, which I really like. That is always the best version of this Cowboys offense is when they can sprinkle in that 12 personnel because their run game so good out of it and the play action game so good out of it. I, the I'm splits really last year when they were the splits last year at before and after some of their tight end injuries when they were running the ball oh, in twelve personnel were it was night and day and so now they're <laughs> it was the week after we brought it year. up too yes we're like man their twelve personnel is so good and then Blake Jarwin gets hurt <laughs> it was, so mentioning their run game hey, looking yeah. back at what the Vikings were last week and then what they're going to have to play against this week with Dallas the one area where the Bills really got after them on the ground was with perimeter runs. They gashed the Vikings defense last week on perimeter runs. And even if they're 
competent at stopping the run out of these light boxes, I guarantee you the Cowboys are sitting there saying, all right, we are going to try to run the ball down your throat if you're going to play like this. We're going to force you to stop the run out of those light boxes with us in those 12 personnel looks or even running it out of 11. So that to me, if I'm talking about where the Cowboys need to succeed and where what the Vikings have to be most worried about, it's the Cowboys trying to grind them down when they're in those light box looks. Yep, it's a pound and shot game, like something like yeah. that, which which is plays right into the Cowboys' hands. And also, just the other thing too is that Michael Gallup uh, is just even him being out there really helps out this offense. Just having that guy on the outside, um, they have Noah, Noah Brown's a nice role player for them because he's so big and can block. Uh, and then they have their gadget guy in Turpin, and so I just like the makeup. They're also the best running back draw team in the game. Like it's their draw play, which is it helps kind of keep offense or defenses from teeing off on them, which I know this Vikings defense would want to do, especially with Zadarius Smith. Um, so they had some really good ones against the Packers that are really nice. They block it in a unique way, which I, I really like uh, as well. But also the last thing I, I want to bring up is that I bring up Zadarius Smith one more time is Connor McGovern better, you know, eat his Wheaties because I guarantee you that's where the Vikings are going to tee off on. That's the weakness the of the line. The fact that they can make that decision every week, it's like, all right, yep. where are we going with it? I think that's yep. it's so valuable that they can do it that. Is. And he's playing well, and Hunter's really starting to come on. Both the pass rusher, he had a couple moments last week in coverage that were difference-making moments. I, he wasn't supposed to be in coverage on the <laughs> – the, it was a screenplay that he just recognized. They tried to yeah. run a screen to Dawson Knox down in the red zone. He recognized it immediately and blows it up. Then there was another play where they ran a simulated pressure where at first I was like, did he just read this, or is he actually supposed to be in the flat? And they brought Harrison Smith off the edge, and he – bounce to the flat in coverage and he had a tfl and a swing pass for a three-yard loss yeah so his just ability to He's play in space in those back. yeah it's just it's fun to watch him making an impact on the game again yeah. and then when you combine that with the way that harrison's with with zadarius smith is playing harrison yep. phillips has had some nice moments for them yep. and again we're talking about like guys like james lynch it's not a group of stars defensively yep. outside of those couple edge rushers but they're playing really well together and again i think it's another good test for a dallas offense where we like what they're rolling out there right now yep and also shout out to Eric Kendricks. Eric Kendricks yes. is another very, very smart player. And, you know, he's gotten banged, he's a smaller guy who's gotten banged up over the years, but he's still, uh, I wouldn't say an impact player, but a good, good, good player for them. And he, he affects the game as well. So they just have intelligence in the back end, on the, in the middle, and then also up front, they just have some guys that, you know, do their jobs. They do their jobs well. And that's what this defense is all about. So we talk about the Vikings being able to run the ball or the Vikings being able to stop Dallas running the ball. On the opposite side, that's exactly what we should be talking about and thinking about, right? So the Cowboys right now, the the numbers here are pretty fascinating. The Cowboys right now are ninth in run defense success rate this season. And based on all the consternation about their ability to stop the run, you think it'd be worse than that. But there's some other underlying numbers that are pretty important. They're 27th in the percentage of their snaps that they're in light boxes. Mm. So one of the reasons that they're stopping the run is that they're devoting a ton of bodies to stopping the run. So with seven or eight guys in the box, the Cowboys are eighth in the league in success rate against the run. With five or six, they're 18th. Ah, there it is. And so that's – if you're going to have to devote some extra resources to stopping the run, what happens? So right now, with six or seven in the box, the Cowboys are third in the NFL in EPA per dropback. With an eighth guy in the box, they're 26th. Mm. (laughs) So what do you do? And this Vikings have this guy named Justin Jefferson. <laughs> so if you have to continue 
to devote extra bodies to stopping the run, which they did against the Packers. Yep. What is that going to do to you in coverage? Anthony Brown gets a concussion last week. They're down to their second nickel corner. And then the other part of this, what is happening with Micah Parsons? Micah Parsons yeah. played nine snap. He had nine pass rush snaps last week. He had 10 snaps as a defensive lineman last week with Anthony Barr out. Mm. And that version of the Cowboys defense, when they can't stop the run without extra bodies, when they're down to Kelvin Joseph and Deron Bland as their other two corners, and Micah Parsons is having to play off the ball, that version of the Cowboys defense doesn't scare me. Right. That's my first thought, too. I'm glad you brought this up because talking about Zadarius Smith lining up an interior lineman, I was thinking, too, it was like, oof, Ed Ingram better hold on his hat because Micah Parsons will be teeing off on him. But now he doesn't have to worry about it as much. I'm sure there'll be a couple of them. But now it's not a true, like, we're doing this every passing down snap. Now it's once in a while. And that that plays into the Vikings' hands. I will say the other thing, too, is this Vikings run game is more horizontal. More, mm-hmm. you know, that's what it is. The outside zone stuff, the split zone stuff. And this Cowboys defense, they're a little light in the pants, but they're built on speed. So they have the is, only team in the NFL that has played fewer snaps of base personnel than the Dallas Cowboys this season is the Buffalo Bills. Which, so being light in the pants, it's exactly yeah. what we're talking about. It's it's five DBs it to everything. They play everything. five DBs to 21. They play five DBs to 12. It's different looks. Sometimes it's three yeah. safeties, whatever it yep. is, but they don't have enough linebackers to play with base personnel. So that's yeah. why I'm wondering. One injury. Minnesota, just- Minnesota didn't do this last week because they're playing again against a team that plays nickel to everything. Do you maybe do a little more heavier personnel and try to grind them down if you know they're going to play nickel? But they didn't do that against the Bills. But the no. Bills are good at defending the run out of nickel. The yes. Cowboys are not good at defending the run out of these light personnel groups. So that little push and pull is something yeah. to watch. The who other blinks? thing is yes. – That's what it is. It's and, and how do you try to take advantage of those? And the other yeah. one other thing I wanted to mention before we moved on. The Cowboys are a little bit different than the Bills in the sense that you're going to have a lot of cover two and cover three. Uh situationally they they, that's, they pretty much trade off it's man or cover two or cover three on third down and it's almost equal cover two and cover three what sort of tells are you going to get formationally when do you know that you can take some of these shots to justin jefferson when yeah. do you know that you can push the ball down the field because one of the two things that i'm most excited about with the vikings passing game one hawkinson's a difference maker for them yes when it's when it's third and eight having one yeah. more guy that can get open is immensely valuable and yes. he has done that and then their willingness to push the ball down the field they, they were taking no chances in the first half of the season and even taking four or five a game where it's like you know what he's the best receiver in the league fuck it that yeah. needs to continue happening what are yes. those going to look like because if yes. they're in a look that looks like man or cover three and they're suddenly in cover two and you're taking those shots, it looks a little uglier than when you know you're going to get single high, you know you're going to get one-on-ones. So how can you gain that information is something that I'm curious about. And Hawkinson, man, it's just, he's perfect for what they, I mean, they have such a nice complimentary pieces. I mean, Jefferson will compliment anyone. You know, Thielen is a nice, he can do some nice things all over the field. KJ Osborne has kind of been up and down this season. I have felt, um, you know, I was optimistic about him, but he he does some nice things as well. He had a nice wheel route into the red zone. But Hawkinson, it's just, it's a perfect complimentary piece because he also gives them that size element, that yeah. catching range element that most tight ends get. We we talk about safety blankets. The tight end is the safety blanket. I, I he's a souped up safety blanket because it's more. Yeah. He's an intermediate guy, which is another guy that they can put over the intermediate areas of the field and let Jefferson probably 
one of, if not, you know, him, Tyreek, but one of the best receivers in the game, one of the best weapons in the game can go deep now. He cannot just, he doesn't have to just be the overrunner. He could do everything possible. I'm glad you're talking about the shot stuff too, because I was double checking the Alex stat, which is uh, the, the third down stat that football outsiders does, which is basically how short of the sticks that the quarterback throws. On third uh, down. Go after, yeah, on third down, I'm sorry. Uh, on week eight, in week eight, Kirk Cousins ranked 31st in the stat, how short of the sticks he was throwing. He's now ranked 17th. So that is – there is actual statistical evidence that he is shooting down the field. and also on t- Yes. And that, that first third down of the game against the Bills, they're also opening script Mastros, uh, Maestros, this, this Vikings offense. But that first third down, he has Hawkinson on a crosser, and then he has Jefferson on the over or the dig or whatever it was, inbreaker of some sort. And he could, Kirk Cousins of yesteryear, of, of earlier this year, would just hit the crosser. And it might get the first down, barely get it. He hangs in the pocket and goes, nope, I'm hitting Jefferson on this. It was a dig because now I remember it. <laughs> he hits Jefferson on the dig. Boom. Jefferson runs out of it. It was already like an 18-yard gain. Jefferson runs out. And it's like a super long game, 40 yards, I think it was. So that's the difference is Kirk Cousins is doing that more. He is attacking down the field, especially on these passing down situations. That's good. It Aggression. changes You're- the ceiling of the offense. Yes. That, and, and if yes. we're trying to figure out why we might have been a little bit down on the Vikings over the first half of the season and why we might be more encouraged now, yep. that ceiling changing on offense because he's going to be more aggressive is a huge part of that. Yes. Kirk Cousins, Absolutely. for it's been such a transition for him, and he's been honest about that, open about that. It's a lot, the de- offense is dense. There's a lot that he's had to get used to. For the last few years in Minnesota, they lined up in heavy personnel a lot, mm-hmm. almost as much as 21. any other team in the NFL. 21. It was 21, 12. <laughs> we're running play action downhill under center. And a lot of how teams played against them because they lined up like that is we're going to be heavy and we're going to play a lot of single high safety because we need to worry about stopping the run because that's how you're built. Well, what does that do for the quarterback? It simplifies his decision making. I know what I'm getting on the back end. I know I'm running these cover three beaters and I'm going to grip it and rip it. And over the sales and overs, baby. (laughs) And and honestly, and he looks beautiful doing that stuff when he knows where he's going with it. Oh, boy, it looks pretty. But now it's all mostly 11. Teams are running much, a bigger variety of coverages against yep. them. And now he's he was thinking a lot more. He was not willing to kind of grip it and rip it the same way he was when the defensive end of things is more simple over the last couple of seasons. Well, yep. now we're in the second half of the year with this offense. And whether it's him being more confident in what he's seeing or him understanding that that lack of ambition was hamstringing them. Last week was a sign that he's willing to be a little bit more, eh, fuck it. And I think that is a very good thing for their offense. It's going to lead to some mistakes, right? They're not going to take care of the ball as much, but I would almost rather have there be more volatility with their offense because he's willing to be a little bit more aggressive. They, they, we know they could be efficient, be explosive. And this is a way to be explosive and, and they're showing it where they, there's proof in the, in this type of pudding. (laughs) All right. Next game here. Chiefs against the Chargers. This game has lost some luster compared to the funny? week two version or um, obviously what was going to happen before the season when I, we thought that the Chargers might be a playoff team. They might push the Chiefs in the AFC West. I will say there's still plenty of stuff to watch. And what piques my interest the most is that Brandon Staley, even if the Chargers defense has been a little bit underwhelming this year, can still unleash a weird as hell game plan, depending on who he's playing against, that gives another offense, even if it's a more talented offense, trouble. That happened last week against San Francisco. You go back and you watch that game, and he said this week he thought it was the best game he ever called, which that's a whole different conversation. Dude, after a win. (laughs) 
whole different conversation. So when the, some of the stuff they were doing against the Niners, four-man fronts with two inside shade one techniques, four-man fr- even got even fronts with three safety looks with Derwin in there, Sebastian Joseph Day playing on the edge every once in a while. By the way, <laughs> so Christian Covington's out for the year, and Christian Covington is just like a nice rotational piece for them. That's yeah. all he is. I was on the phone with my mom yesterday and she was like, do you know, Christian Covington's out for the year. And I was like, I was like yeah, why do you know that? And the Xfinity news thing on the TV, just like put it in the corner of the television. Why does Xfinity think my mom needs to know that a Chargers backup defensive lineman is out for the year? She, they know she knows uh, they know that you host the show. That's why they, they're just helping you out. It's another and avenue of, of information. All the things I expected her to say in that conversation. You know, Christian Covington is out for that the year. So, it's not something I expected her to say. That is anyway, so funny. That's what the Niners. That's what the Chargers can do every once in a while. They can yeah. unleash this kind of weird game plan against you. And we have seen a lot of weird, differentiated game plans against the Chiefs over the last couple of years. Last season. The Chargers played man coverage against the Chiefs 55% of the time on Mahomes' dropbacks. That was that would be the, that would lead the league over the course of an entire season. Mahomes was one that faced the least amount of man coverage or bottom three last season because Tyreek Hill was still there. So what the Chargers are doing is he doesn't see a lot of this. We're going to unleash this very weird game plan they don't expect. Week two. What do you not do against Patrick Mahomes? Don't blitz. Don't blitz. If you blitz, you're screwed. The Chargers blitz on 44% of his third down dropbacks in week two. And some of the pressure stuff that they were doing was the best stuff they did in that game. And is yes. some of the best stuff they've done this season. So yeah. what do we do now? We've already thrown these couple changeups at him in two games last year when Staley got there. And then in one game this year, what is the changeup to the changeup? That is my favorite part of this game. The element of this game that I'm most intrigued by. My theory, I, I like the three safety looks. I think that is their best personnel grouping. It was should. always going to be. And that's why it was always. so disappointing that JT Woods was not playing for the first half of the year. Always. Like, get Derwin James. Unlock Derwin James. Like, he's your difference maker on that defense. I mean, Khalil <laughs> as well. But I think the changeup to the changeup is drop eight. And they ran it 10% oh, of the time against the 49ers, which is a season high. And they didn't do it once against the Chiefs the first time they played. And then they they had some exotic looks. I just tweeted one against the 49ers. There's a third down. They dro- showed a heavy blitz look, dropped eight, and Drew Tranquil is running down the post in a cover three look, like a three buzz look. I'm and not sure I like that. I, 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 hey, my, hey, throw some stuff against the wall, see what sticks. At this <laughs> guess, point, you might as well. I guess Mahomes, that's kind of what you have to do. I mean, that's what um, – Yes, it uh, is. That's, that's what the, the Bengals that's what the Bills did. That's what the, and that's what the Bills, the Bills defense did. They the Bills, just, the Bengals, they, yes. They went, off, they went off their own tendencies. They're like, hey – Let's run a little bit of everything. Variety packet. Yeah. Uh, hopefully yep. one of them sticks. So I think there's going to be a little bit of drop eight. I, the fact that they did it 10% of the time last week was like, oh, wow. that's I didn't know you guys did that. And so, okay, maybe they lean into that. I think that might be the changeup. Um, as far as, do you want me like my one Chiefs like little tidbit here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lay it on me. I do. I, yeah, I'm curious if the Chiefs lean into – you never have to tell Andy Reid don't 
run the ball. Like he he's more than happy to pass the ball always. Well, that's but why man, this is such an interesting matchup. And I think yes. why the Chargers have given them relative problems over the last year or so. Not really. Like he's still been very good against them, but not yeah. as good as he is against the rest of the league. It's like it's like eighty percent of Mahomes yeah. as opposed to the to the real, Which real anything you can fireworks. do to take it down that twenty percent you <laughs> do. It's one firework going off as a, as opposed to like twenty going off on top of you. But it's no. But I I, I want to. I'm curious if the Chiefs lean into these counter runs. The 49ers are really getting after them. That's the fronts that the Chargers run. The Chiefs have leaned more into that. But also, do they utilize? And this is like the 40th time I've mentioned this. Do the Chiefs use that 13 personnel that they've started to use more and more to get the Chargers in base? Because the first time they played, the Chargers were only in base, which is four DBs, only in base four times on first and second down. The Chargers on first and second down are the 23rd ranked defense in base personnel on first and second down. So this is – that's what Which you want to get. Which is even higher than you'd expect, by the way. Right. They have played went, with heavier boxes thought, this year than you might think 30th. they would. Yes. <laughs> when I looked well, they, that stat up, I, I thought it was going to be so low, but it was 23rd. But still, still below. We talk about <laughs> throwing stuff against the wall, seeing with sticks. In order to defend the run this year, they've had to play with heavier boxes than yep. they ideally want to, I think. And it's funny you say that. They play with heavier boxes – they're way worse against the pass out of base, obviously, heavier bodies, but they're low in the boxes, way worse out of the pass or against the pass out of base than they are against the run. They're not great against the run, don't get me wrong. But also the Chiefs, when they're in that those 13 personnel looks, the heavier personnel looks, they're great passing the ball out of them. Because Kelsey's your basically a second That's what receiver. They they move do. Yes. And so it's like, ooh, I I there's an avenue I think the Chiefs might go down for this game. I yeah, I know. It's funny. We, we, we've hit these teams up on every single different angle. So it's kind of fun to kind of go like, oh, yeah, we're, we should be excited about this game, shouldn't we? I mean, anytime I get to gush about Patrick Mahomes, I'm pretty freaking excited. So It's a game plan game more than it's yeah. an individual matchup game. Right. Just because the Chargers are so depleted. And I do like, you know, Derwin against Travis Kelsey when they play man. That's obviously Very worth watching. But yeah. the, the Chargers are so banged up in this yeah. version of the Chargers. D- right. Chargers in general is so banged up compared to what we thought it was going to be that right. that side of it isn't that interesting. But I do think that the matchup and what your plan is for the Chiefs, the Chargers have always done some stuff that's a little bit different, a little bit weird. Even though uh, when they played in week two, the Chargers played mo- like 50% man on first and second down, and they played more zone on third down, which is a little bit counterintuitive. So it's just every single time these two teams oh, man, play, why? Staley's like, what do they think I'm going to do? I'm going to do the opposite yeah. of that. And that it. <laughs> at least gives them a little bit more trouble than they might have otherwise. Yeah. Flipping to the other side of the ball here. I hate to even do this, but it sounds like Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are going to play. I, hope they I don't. Just I mean, good God. <laughs> I, if they let's operate as if they're going to play. Yeah. What do you think is the most substantive, important change for the Chargers offense if both of these guys do actually play? We we knock the Chargers offense for being kind of static and, and traditional, which sometimes is good, but sometimes what they're it's running isn't great. It's not <laughs> it's not it's not always great. Uh but what what the that Chargers offense, what Joe Lombardi likes to do, because he runs just basically Sean Payton shit is they love those three-by-one formations and using Mike Williams as a traditional X. Last year, we were very excited about that. And then they kind of didn't take the next step from it. But why that is important is it gives Herbert the easy buttons. We talk about quarterbacks getting these easy buttons. Because in a traditional offense, in a a classic NFL-style pro offense like Sean Payton or Joe Lombardi, is that when you have that X, that is a gimme throw or a one-on-one matchup throw. We have the three trip side. If you're in quarters, if you're in man, if you are in cover three – 
That's one-on-one. Okay, we have this route on it tagged because he's on his own individual route away from the three-man side. I can go and take it if I like it. Chiefs corners have played better than you would think. Yeah, their secondary their secondary Much. always plays better than you expect it to play. They're always very well better. coached in the secondary. But it gives it gives Herbert just one way to attack him where he doesn't have to read something out where Gerald Everett and DeAndre Carter are running into each other. You know, it's like, hey, I'm just gonna take the you know the cleanest path here to a completion. That helps. It, it helps just, you know, keeps the offense moving along. Um they still need that deep threat, but whatever. But I, I think that does help. I think that's the one way that does help with Mike Williams and also with Keenan Allen, especially on third downs, is Keenan Allen moving to slot, winning those one-on-one matchups. So they have someone else that can win one-on-one outside of freaking Eckler. <laughs> the fact that they had to rely on their running back to be their best pass catcher. He's a great pass catcher, but you don't want to live that way. So someone to attack that five to 15 yard area for Herbert and to win these matchups. I thought it was so telling last week that they were moving the ball pretty well early in the game when the Niners were playing a lot of man coverage because you can just do weird stuff against man coverage, right? Like you can do gimmicky uh-huh. things to create separation yep. against man coverage. Picks, I'm running little slot works. fades. I'm running little yep. picks. I'm running little rubs. I'm creating separation by formation and play design. Yep. The Niners eventually were just like, well, why are we doing this? Like they don't have any guys that we're worried about actually right. feeling the game and beating us in zone coverage. So let's just do right. what we do. And the Chargers then struggle to move the ball. That's why Keenan Allen, and I, I don't think I've given this enough credence so far this season, and that's on me. I think that's why he's so important to their offense is that the guys they have aren't detailed players who have feel for At how to all. operate in that world. And that's exactly yes. what he is. So having Mike Williams to push the ball down the field and then having Allen, if they're going to give you that space to exploit that space, becomes so incredibly important. Yes. So I just want to see the, the offense has been frustrating to watch all year, obviously. It was frustrating to watch when he had both of those guys last year, but I do want to see both those guys back. The one other person worth mentioning, Trey Pipkins has been has been hurt. That has hurt them. You know, two tackles out. I Hopefully, this team gets sort of back to right, and we get to see just a better version of this offense down the stretch. I agree. No, I, I, I want to just see – I just want to see Herbert – have some fun again. I can just tell it's just not fun right now. <laughs> and I, I just want to see him be able to have some confidence in who he's throwing to. There, yeah. He, there's a, there's a Trey McKitty, like choice router underneath throughout a saw and he's tripping. And, and Seth Galina actually messaged, <laughs> messaged about this. And he said, he goes, he, uh, Herbert came off the choice route before, before McKitty even tripped. Like, cause he's like, he's not going to win. Like, so <laughs> the fact that that's like, that's what they're designing one-on-one routes for is that one of the worst skill players in the league right now is, is that's where they're at. So having some guys he has confidence in, you, you think, watch Mahomes with freaking uh, Travis Kelsey. He has some real confidence of where he's about to be and where he can throw to. Having guys that he has confidence will help everything. And I think that's what we're hoping to see this Sunday. This and weekend. one of the other elements that I'm excited to watch. How does Kadarius Tony's role within the offense continue to grow? Uh, you know, if teams yeah. are going to continue to challenge the Chiefs' offense and play a bunch of man coverage because they're not afraid of separation from the receiving options, that's why you go get a Kadarius Tony because yes. you have one more guy that's got a little something to him. Oh, and yeah. we saw a little bit of that last week. So if the Chargers are going to come out on early downs and say, we're going to play a bunch of man coverage against you again, is that somebody that can start to exploit some of those matchups? I think that yep. that's going to be a huge part of figuring out and diagnosing what the Chiefs' offensive ceiling is and what sort of stuff they can work through here over the rest of the season. Right. One more thing I wanted to say. On a show last week, I said that 
the Chargers went into the season with two edge rushers on their 53-man roster. That is incorrect. They had three. Chris Rumpf was also on their 53-man roster. My point about the Chargers being very, very thin at that position still stands, but I did want to correct myself. Funny. Stars and scrubs. <laughs> that's, that's what they're built on. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go under the hood with two contending offenses that have run into a little bit of trouble. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? Show up for a friend? Show up for yourself? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is, doing what you need to do, carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Maze. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Better check under the hood. All right. The Buffalo Bills are obviously one of the best offenses in the league. Statistically, they're still one of the best offenses in the league. But the last couple weeks, a couple hiccups, especially in the second half. Wanted to just dive deep on the Bills, just talk about them a little bit more because I think we've kind of treated them as a given. You know, some of these yeah. teams that are rolling over the first half of the season, the Bills, the Eagles, who we're going to talk about, it's almost easy to skip over them just because they're crushing teams or they're playing so well that it's not really worth analyzing. The Bills are worth analyzing right now because they've run into some trouble. So just big picture takeaway. You watched the Bills last week against the Vikings. How are you feeling about where the Bills offense is at right now? Man, it's it's a weird thing to say. It's like like you said, we we it's a it's a given sometimes when you watch this Bills offense. And I, I think Josh Allen being Josh Allen and being sometime at any time going supernova is one of the most exciting things in sports, I think. He's he's one of the most fun athletes to watch, period. The problem with Josh Allen, I should say the problem, uh, a feature uh, or a bug of Josh Allen is three to four times a game, he's gonna fuck up. <laughs> he's going to put the ball in harm's way. He's going to try something. He's going to do too much. That's just, that's part of his game. That's what makes him Josh Allen. That's what makes him Professor Chaos. I think in a weird way, and I, <laughs> this Bills offense is what we thought they were in the sense that they are, and this is the analogy I like to use. I tweeted it, spoilers, last night was that I said, they're, I look at them as like a three point shooting team in basketball. And the fact that they can go, they can get hot at any time. And they can just run you off the court 
in one half. And it's just like, holy shit, we're down four scores. We're down three scores. How can we can't tackle these guys? Oh my God, there goes the ostrich running down the field. But at times they can get cold and they, they don't have the kind of safety blankets at times to overcome those misses. They don't have sometimes those layups, somebody else to take the load off Josh Allen. What I will say, and it's kind of a weird thing to say there's actually some signs of what the bills offenses is are doing is doing that they're trying to find answers that's not relying just on josh allen being a freak and i think their run game they're trying to diversify that you'll never i'll always mention a a diversifying run game i like to it's like i love portfolio diversification i love this with run games um but the bills now are using a six off of offense alignment a lot they're using bobby hart as their extra tight end They've done this the fifth most snaps in the entire NFL. They've used a six offense alignment, including 24 times over the past three weeks. That's a significant amount, including they'll do against the Vikings. They did 11 personnel jumbo with a six offense alignment. So Bobby Hart's the only tight end on the field, had a nice run play and had a nice play action play out of it. But their run plays out of jumbo, jumbo sets, their rush success rate is 55.6%. To put that in perspective, the Eagles lead the league right now at 49.1%. The Bills normally are 12th in the NFL at 41.2%. So this is a big upgrade for their run game. Yeah. And this is just so they don't have to go, hey, Josh Allen, can you run another uh, QB power for us? Hey, Josh, can you run a QB draw for us? And you're like, take the load off this guy. I mean, these hits accumulate. That's why his elbow's getting banged up. Uh, but I do think that this team, uh, also with this Bills offense, sorry, this is the last stat I have with this. So they're the second best team by EPA per rush out of Jumbo. They're tied for last with the Colts. And designed rushes and all other personnel groupings, so they are they're a bad they're hor- actively a bad hor- team in most situations. Hor- and we talked early in this year, what are the blemishes of this Bills team? And that's the offensive line, the interior offensive line, and you see that show up. Josh Allen can mitigate a lot of these errors, but he only could do so much. And sometimes these matchups, you know, pressure gets to him. He hit, the ball has to wave off of it. He has to scramble too early. And again, he can mitigate that, but it shows up on the other facets of their offense. So it's a weird, I don't know how to say this. It is what I thought. I do think they're trying to find answers, but you know, it's not always perfect. It's not always perfect. Josh Allen's not going to always make the crazy throw. The, the bounce, the ball is going to bounce the other way sometimes. If you look at the numbers and even going back and watching that entire Vikings game, down to down, the Bills offense is really good. <laughs> like really, really good. And the problem is, some of that is rooted in volatile moments. Yeah. So I think the big – I have a couple – there are like two or three issues that I saw when and just thinking about them and rewatching them. There's the couple bad turnovers a game. That is a huge thing to consider. Yep. You know, he's throwing – especially in the red zone. Like them throwing turn, – them turning the ball over in the red zone is a problem. And that, that, that stuff is decision-making and that just can't happen. The one was on a fourth down. You know, that kind of mm-hmm. is what it is. The Patrick Peterson play, Peterson makes a really nice play on that ball, but yep. still Allen's trying to fit that in in a way that probably is unnecessary. So I think yeah. that his decision-making in sort of the tighter areas of the field is particularly important. Okay. The other things are they, they came into this season and the guys that they signed along the offensive line or the moves they made along the offensive line, the way they constructed that position group, they went to sign Roger Saffold, I think in part because Roger Saffold's an ass kicker in the run game. And that's what they needed. They needed to be able to run the ball better and have more physicality. So you have a left guard that isn't a great pass blocker. You have a right tackle who is not a great pass blocker. Right. And Ryan Bates is like, fine. This is not an elite offensive line. Nope. And if when you're up against it, 
and you're trying to figure out how to push yourself across the finish line and you have expensive pieces and you go out and get a Von Miller when you have signed Trey White and Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde and Matt Milano and all of these guys to extension. Stefan Diggs is expensive. There's always a give and take. You you have to. And and Josh Allen's to. now uh, in, on his extension. So yep. And they consciously decided we're going to skimp a little bit on the line because that's an area where Josh can mitigate where we're bad. And yep. he does. His yes. ability to not – to just avoid sacks in any situation. It's insane. To, he is the best quarterback in the league in EPA per drop back when pressured only from the pocket. That doesn't even <laughs> include scrambles. So his ability yeah. to just operate within the confines of the pocket under pressure is really, really good. He Their bet that they made is correct, but you still have to live with the consequences. Yes. So he, he's there's still a volatility to how they have to play because he's yep. consistently avoiding pressure. And one of the just downstream effects of that is that occasionally they struggle to play on time as a passing offense. Yep. There are so many plays in that Vikings game where they can't do anything against zone coverage within the structure of a play because he's seeing a flash almost immediately after the play starts. So now he's in creation mode instantly. So at times they don't play on schedule on offense unless he's throwing like a deep comeback or something outside the numbers. So the Vikings are the perfect sort of defense to take away things over the middle of the field when you're playing zone coverage, but they had nothing. They had absolutely nothing in that game over the middle of the field within the confines of the offense unless the Vikings blitzed. So if you're not going to give them anything there, are they going to struggle to play on time and just within the rhythm of the offense? And I think the answer to that is yes. So the offensive line concerns and how that affects their ability to play on time, I think those things are real. Whether they can overcome those in the long term, I think that's the bigger question. I tend to think the answer is yes. Because yes. if Devin Singletary doesn't fumble at the 25-yard line in this game, the Vikings right. pro- or the Bills probably win. We're not talking about this. I know. And that's that's the other thing, too, is that it's, like Josh Allen threw a deep hinge. A deep hinge is a uh, it's an extended stop route. It's down the field on the outside. And he hit a couple of these. That's a hard way to live. Like that is yes. a hard throw to make, a hard throw to complete. It's, the degree it's of tough. difficulty is very high for him. They are such a high wire act. They, they shoot 25, 30, 30 foot threes over and over and over and they hit them. It's like watching the Warriors sometimes. Like, But it's sometimes you go cold. Sometimes you go one for 20 from three and it just looks like crap or, or just have these blemishes where you miss five in a row in high leverage moments. But I also like just want to talk. It's like they're like permanently on a heat check. That's that's kind of how this offense plays. He and, is playing like that right now. There yeah. were a couple of moments where he's looking. It was I can't remember the exact play, but he tried to throw one like to the pylon on a line to Gabe Davis when he had a crosser coming over the backside. Yeah. And it's like you don't need to do that. The problem is, is that he threw for a touchdown earlier in the game. Yes, <laughs> that's the I concern know. is that sometimes it does work. Yeah. He's the ultimate no 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 yeah baby like that he's that quarterback always every single play but the uh, also the other one was uh, what I thought of he took it he got sacked on this and I'm trying to remember it was off the left edge so I'm trying to remember who got him but against the Vikings uh, the Vikings were in a Tampa two Eric Kendricks is running down the pipe and he had McKenzie running down the pipe and you can see Josh Allen look look to the corner and then all of a sudden realize that he's about to have. Mackenzie running down the pipe and you can see him getting ready to launch and then he gets hit. But I was like, oh, that would have been a, that would have been like a 65 yard bomb. Cause you, the th- other thing, he's throwing it late. 
the fact that he could do that, his room for error is just it's incredible. Like he He's can just often throw stuff throwing it late. Yes. Yes, the I, very, I know. The uh, only real plays gonna, on time are the ones outside the numbers. It's weird he, or, to watch. Or when he's replacing a blitz. Those yes. are the two things. Yes, that's the other one because he knows he knows how to read that and hit that. That's the other thing with him is that early in the year, and don't get me wrong, he's playing incredible. He's still incredible. He's so good. Is my dad, by the way, every time he watches Josh Allen play, he just goes, why could I coach this guy? Uh, but <laughs> but every um, – was that early in the year, all the commentators were like, man, you know, Josh Allen's just reading the game. Like Peyton Manning now, like I remember Chris Collins were saying that in week one. And then they show the like zoomed up f- view of Josh Allen's eyes and he's looking in five different directions and then finally finding the throw and hitting it late. And I was like, it's a little different, guys. That's kind of, that's his own way of reading the play out. That's not how you really teach it. But the last thing I want to say with this Bills offense and why they're trying to find answers and sometimes it's not always the right way, but they're trying stuff is uh, we talked about simulated pressures when, when the Bills would be in empty. And simulated pressures would really – they'd get gamed up where Josh Allen have to throw hot and throw underneath and, you know, he'd be pressured because he has to deal with a free runner. So against the Vikings, they had kind of a, a change-up look off of this. And it was pretty cool is they – rather than have the guys slide down, have the tackles, when you got a, a pressure coming, an off-ball pressure, and you're in a five-man protection like an empty, is that you're trying to make it the longest path to the quarterback. So the tackles will squeeze inside to make it the longest path. So sometimes the D-end – will end up free because the tackle's squeezing in for the linebacker, the off-ball player. So the Vikings brought one of these, and how the Bills adjusted to this was they had Mitch Morse do his half slide, and then once he recognized what the pressure was, he pulled for the blitzer. He came right back around. Uh, uh, Mitchell Schwartz and I were messaging each other. He called this like a molly pop. This is kind of – there's different words for this. Um, dual read is the guard tackle version of this, but it's, a, it's its own version. Bobby Johnson has a clinic on it. He's now the Giants offensive line coach. But it's kind he of – He was the Bills offensive line coach. Yes, exactly. And they, they did this a couple times last year. Um, some guys from Cover 1 that covered the Bills uh, mentioned that to me. Is that – that's a nice little wrinkle. And so it's one of those things. It's like a sight adjust. It's that you can practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it. And it comes up like two or three times a year. So yeah. it's kind of one of those. It's like, is it worth it? Time and that's spent, what value kinda, received. Yeah. Correct. And especially with limited practice time, all that stuff. So that's what frustrates me sometimes with the Bills offense is they'll do those things. It's like, yes, you found an answer, but there's better ways to do that. In that look, there's way they could have full slid based on the safety look, based on everything, and wadded up the protection or wadded up the blitz. It would have been fine. It would have been protected. But they don't look for those answers sometimes. Sometimes they always look for the hard answers or the cool, like try to be like the, the cool kids club with some of their answers. So I'll say some, it's like they find the answer, but sometimes it's not maybe the most straight line one. And sometimes I want them to take the straight line one. So the last two games, they have, excuse me, they haven't scored a second half touchdown in the last three games. I think it's important to acknowledge that I don't think that's indicative of any second half failures, right? Like, oh, they get figured out in the second half. Here are their second half drives against the Vikings. First drive, they had a third and one where Mitch Morse gets destroyed. Oh, yeah. On a third and one, and, get, and le- it leads to a sack. But it's third and one. If, if yeah. you just run the ball with Josh Allen in that situation, you probably get it, right? They get stuffed on third and one in the red zone on their second drive, and then they don't go for it on fourth and two, which is not something that the Bills typically do. They were winning. They were up by two scores at that point. But yeah. that's that's why, like, just do it. Just just put the yeah. game away. And they're like, such go, an aggressive go for fourth it. down team. And then it's that's 31 to 10, and then yeah. you're in good shape. So they didn't go for it on the third and one at the 22-yard line. So they drive into the near the red zone again. 
Fourth and two interception by Patrick Peterson at the seven-yard line. So they've driven the ball all the way down there again. Two-minute drill is, is, the, is the last one. And then and the, the, there's the OT uh, interception. So they drove, again, all the way down into the red zone in the second half. So they're moving the ball. It's not yeah. like they short-circuit in the second yeah. half. And I think that it's important to think about their opponents. The last two weeks, they played against the Jets and they played against the Vikings. Both teams that play a shitload of zone coverage and mm-hmm. play it well. So no easy answers. Like we're going to make you earn it the entire time. We're not going to give you any easy options. And they're playing against disciplined, well-coached defenses. Guess what they get this week, baby? They get a Browns defense that can't find its way out of a paper bag. This is a a real get-right potential game for the Bills here. And we just learned while recording this, they're going to play it in Detroit. So yeah. we finally get a Bills home game in a dome where we get to see what Josh Allen and Steph Diggs will look like when they're playing inside. <laughs> Is that funny? Like they get I know they've had the K gun offenses in, in the snow. Like they just yeah, they get these guys in these offenses, but they have the worst weather for it. That was like the Packers offense with Rodgers for years. It was like, man, imagine this team in like Atlanta where Rodgers like that in those domes. Like how good that would look. I do think that they're gonna be fine. Like again, a couple yeah, of these bounces too. go the right way, and the high yep. wire act ends up they they land the dismount in ways they yep. haven't the last couple of weeks. But I do think it's important to understand that there is some volatility built into this yep. because of the way that they play, and it's almost yes. intentional. They yep. built the team this way, knowing yep. that the quarterback is the guy that can, can potentially get them out of this stuff. So, yep. Couple down moments. Uh, I don't think it's indicative of any sort of long term struggles that are going to hamstring them down the stretch. I think they're still the team to beat in the AFC or right there with the Chiefs. Nothing about the last couple of weeks has gotten me off of that. That's kind of how I feel as well. They, they, it's just, yeah, they're, they're a high wire act. This is how they play. This is what they're, it's the Marilyn Monroe quote. <laughs> if you're not, you can't take me at my worst. You can't take me at my best or you don't deserve me at my best because that is what this team is. All right. Let's get to the Eagles here. Eagles are still eight and one. They're still the one seed in the NFC, but the first real Mistake, first real misstep from them on Monday night against Washington. Same question. You're watching that Eagles game over again. What is your kind of big picture feel about where Philadelphia is right now offensively? Well, one is that, God dang, they can run the ball. uh, And they should always just lean into it. First down, second down, third down, fourth down. They try to. um, But watching that team, uh, watching that you know, watching that game against Washington, watching that game against Washington, it was, it was interesting to watch was, God, stop saying this, is that <laughs> I got baby brain already. I'm like burnt, <laughs> but watching, I don't even have an excuse. So I know watching what they were doing is that is sometimes these, the ball was bouncing a different way than what has been bouncing the first few weeks of the year or first half of the year. And also is that this is an offense based. They have so many, so many talented players. Uh, uh, offensive line, of course, the three weapons. But now Dallas Goddard's hurt. We'll talk about that in a sec. But I thought it was interesting against this Commanders defense. Was the Commanders were primary when when Eagles would trot out eleven personnel with three wide receivers. The Washington would trot out with a single high coverage on eighty seven percent of the snaps. Twenty out twenty three eleven personnel snaps is either man or cover three. And I thought that was interesting in the sense that they were going. Okay, we're going to dare you to hit those throws that you think you can hit all the time. We're going to make you run throw slants because the way that the Eagles beat man coverage is slants and go balls. It's the AJ Brown we, show. It's the AJ Brown show. That is where that is why you pay a guy because that guy destroys man coverage. But how they beat it is slants and go balls. And we saw a third down 
They threw a slant. I believe it was Fuller. Knocked the ball down. You know, they got off awesome the Awesome game by him, by the way. He Great had a couple game. really nice moments in that game. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, Washington DBs. We'll talk about them in a sec. But the – so that was one third down. And then there was the other was they ran a – it was the interception. Uh, the Forest had the interception deep uh, 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 when they targeted A.J. Brown. And that's the go balls. That is why we call them 50-50 balls is because – it can the coin can flip the other way. Sometimes you bet heads, you bet heads, you're hitting heads all the time. Wow, this is great. Why does everyone do this? Ask the Bengals what happens. Like this, <laughs> like this is why teams. It's it's hard to live that way. You can get hot if you have great players. It's great. That's why. And the concept that they ran on that interception was nine eighty nine. And I've said this with the Bengals team. I've said this with a lot of teams. When you run nine eighty nine, that is a we have better players. Two verticals on the outside and right the, middle. the middle read route in the middle. This is what. Uh, Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb interception, same exact concept. And that play is a we have better players than you do play. That is what that play is. That is a play you do. Yes, <laughs> they can do that. But sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. And sometimes you don't win that one-on-one. Sometimes the safety is over the top and you shouldn't be throwing it. Sometimes it's just that's what happens when you're living that way. But that's how they design the offense to beat. The man coverage is that. And so I thought that that's a, that game was one of those that we finally got to see when it all just didn't break right. And, you know, they still hung in the game. Like, they're still moving the ball and doing some fine things. They barely even touched the ball, it felt like, for a while. And also the other thing is, you know, the Dallas Goddard injury. Uh, I'll let you talk. Sorry, I've been talking for a while. What do you um, think, you know, buddy? Be, we missed you. You got, some, you got to make up for some lost time here. I'm pent up, man. <laughs> it's, uh, but they they love to run 12 personnel. They run 12 personnel 20% of the time, uh, which is above average rate. They're the second best team uh, of all the teams that primarily run it. They're the second best team by EPA per playoff 12 personnel. So lose, losing Dallas Goddard, it's interesting. Dallas Goddard been a, is a great player. And, and all the tight end screens, the underneath stuff. He's a great corner route th- runner. The, the good thing is that the Eagles run 13 personnel with Jack Stoll and Grant, uh, Calcaterra. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they run that so they can get those guys in, but it's not Dallas Goddard. So that's why I brought up the single high stuff because if they're going to trot out more 11 personnel, they, I think they might have to start finding more answers for that outside of just pounding the rock, which they can do. The play you mentioned, the interception where they're going deep to A.J. Brown, is to me the play that encapsulates this entire thing. About what was different about the Eagles on Monday night compared to what they were over the first nine weeks of the season. The Eagles lost the turnover differential. I was doing some quick math here. I should look this up before we started. I believe there was minus two on Monday night. Okay, Three lost okay. fumbles, one interception. They are still on the season plus 13 in the wow. turnover differential column after losing by two on Monday night. So, I mean, they were plus 15 coming yeah. into the Monday night game. That throw that gets picked by Forrest is the exact play against the exact team that Devontae Smith had that monster catch on Mm -hmm. earlier in the season when the Eagles played Washington. They've run that and made that throw three different times this season. Twice to A.J. Brown, once to Devontae Smith. The first one, Devontae Smith was completed. He dunked on a dude to make that play 50 yards down the field. They ran in the second half of the Washington game to A.J. Brown. And autoplay videos get to get distracted here. They ran it the, the second half of that game against Washington. It goes incomplete, yeah. right? Because it's mm-hmm. into double coverage. Yeah, right? it, it makes That's sense. And then the third time they throw it, it gets intercepted. So you yep. talk about flipping the coin 
eventually it's going to come up tails when you keep doing this. When nothing yes. about the circumstances change, you sh- the outcome is completely random. So yes. that's this is the the third outcome, which you can expect. The Quez Watkins play, where he makes yes. a huge play down the field and it, the ball squirts out. Like this is the yep. things that these are the things that happen over the course of an NFL season. <laughs> yes. So the they got really lucky in one area over the first half of the season. They yep. got less lucky on Monday night. Yeah. I a couple things I do I do think are worth paying attention to. I am concerned about their ability to push the ball down the field against teams that are going to try to put a roof over them a little bit. Washington did that. Mm-hmm. Two of Jalen Hurts' attempts in that game went at least 15 yards in the air. You could see them. It was the interception and it was the Quez Watkins play. That's it. Yep. It's over. Okay. That's it. They, if they're when things compress for them, how do they operate in that compressed space? Because if they're going to play against a team like Pittsburgh, who's going to give you those go balls, that's you're, they're going to burn you down because their mm-hmm. players are better than you. But if you make them earn it through the passing game, what do they look like? Especially now they don't have that screen button that they can consistently yes. press with Goddard. So yes. that is the one thing I'm looking at. And also, if they're going to play against you that that way against you, run the ball 35 times. Yes. That's why I I understand that it's easy to get intoxicated by AJ Brown and the guys that you have and Jalen Hurts playing better. Just grind them into sawdust for four quarters. And I think that it's not an exciting answer. And we know play callers get bored, but I do think that that has to be the thing that you go back to if they're going to make you play in that compressed space. And it's funny you say that because that's one of the compliments I've had for that Eagles offensive staff is that they they were willing to repeat play calls early in the year. They're willing to go, hey, we're running this, we're running this, and it works, 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 because RPOs have different answers, which helps. And it felt like this game was the first time they're like, all right, we're going to try this out. We're gonna, they got away from some stuff that was working, which I thought was kind of interesting. I was like, whoa, hey, hey, you were running that that zone smoke play earlier and it looked great. You ran the empty QB run play on like the first play of the game. That looked amazing. It might have been a red zone call. Go back to that. Get, get Jalen Hurts going. That's his greatest strength. He's one of the best runners at any position in the league. Get him going because it felt like a couple times, especially like on second and long, they were trying these drop back plays and it was, mm, that's just not the way they want to win. I mean, that's not how they're built. So I think it's just they, they have to kind of, simplify it it's already a fairly simple offense but just again another offense has to straight line it and i I think this is uh they may maybe needed a game like that to maybe kind of reset them i think it it hurts that goddard's out but i think that maybe will help so now they're playing against a team in indianapolis this week that has some similar dna to the way that washington wants to play sack pascal revenge game john wick game i didn't even think Huge missed opportunity for us. I think we're the only possible thing in football media that could pull up a five-minute Zach. We pull off a five-minute Zach Pascal conversation. It wouldn't seem weird. We did our James Lynch talk earlier today. Like we're we're all set. I have a Zach Pascal stat, by the way. He uh, the 136 receivers this year have played 100 or more snaps. (laughs) He has the fourth lowest pass rate when he's on the field. So there's a little bit of an indicator when Pascal's on the field that and the Eagles what? are going to run the ball. It doesn't fucking matter. It, it doesn't matter. I'm sure they average like six and a half yards per carry. Oh, when no. They, when he's they're on great the field. plays. There's a reason he's on the field because he's thumping dudes. So, yeah. No, it makes sense. <laughs> so the Colts, you know, obviously some differences. Washington plays a little bit more man coverage, a decent amount more man coverage. You know, the, a lot more blitzing from Washington and the Colts. But still, they can stop the run with very consistently out of not super heavy personnel. 
They're really good in their front four stopping the run. Your Grover Stewart's are the same sorts of impact yeah. players that guys in the interior for Washington have, DeForest Buckner. And they're going to play a decent amount of soft zone against you and say, yep. we're going to make you earn this. So yep. if you just can't grind them down in the run game, because Indy is, I think they're fourth in the NFL in defensive success rate against the run. What does this look like, the plan from the Eagles offense? So I think it's a good test back-to-back with what Washington was because there are elements of those two defenses that are similar enough where I want to see how the Eagles respond. Great call. Yeah, the Colts defense is built to take jabs. They're they're built to take those punches over a game. And and they're but can the Eagles, you know, play that way, like willing to do that. But yeah, I'm glad you gave Grover Stewart a shout out because he's playing freaking amazing. Well, there's a reason that the Colts can stop the run. I mean, in this way, it's because they have those dudes up front. Yeah, he's a one man wrecking machine. I think it's like on off splits. It's like when he's on the field, they like are far and away the best run defense by success rate. It's it's pretty crazy with his on off splits. All right, we're going to take one more quick break, and then we're going to get back and talk about the team that beat the Eagles on Monday night. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. What are you? I really love that you found that drop. It's a really cheap thing that we can go to as we structure the show. We don't know how to talk about these teams. So thank you very much, my friend. You're welcome. The, Was- the Washington football team, after beating the Eagles on Monday, is 5-5. Five and five. The Washington football team plays the Houston Texans this weekend. Not sure if you guys know this, but the Houston Texans are not very good at playing football. Washington has the 29th ranked strength of schedule the rest of the way, according to our Austin Bach at The Athletic. As things currently stand, they have a 21.8% chance to make the playoffs, according to our in-house numbers at The Athletic. Unbelievable. What do we make of the Washington football <laughs> team right now? I don't know. I... Bellard, I mean, get, get that get that C word out of the lower third. I don't, I don't want that as part of this show. I love that because I know you've had to train yourself so hard not to say San Diego Chargers and the Oakland Raiders. So you're like, I, I trained it to say Washington football team. I still usually call them Washington. I just say Washington now. And yeah, commanders. Yeah, I'm not, I, I know that. I'm not going to stick with that. I do know this with Washington. Their defensive line is full of ass kickers and they're getting Chase Young back, which is really cool, really fun. Their offense with Scott Turner down up plays is creative. Sometimes you can see what they're trying to do. They sometimes are not always able to do it, <laughs> depending on quarterback play. Last year, sometimes it was because DeAndre Carter was running the wrong route. Oh, weird. He does the same it's thing. become a theme. LA. Weird, right? Oh, my God. There's so many times last year I'd watch. I'm like, oh, wow. They're running like this four-strong sail look. And DeAndre Carter would like stop his route. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, come on. That's wide open. So I, felt, I would feel for Scott Turner as a play caller. But – yeah, I think this offense, we called it a fever dream early in the year. They, they, they're they creative. I understand what they try to do, I, uh, but sometimes they're not always able to do it. And they got some fun pieces on defense. And that's where I'm at with this team. And Taylor Heineke is always going to be – he's a stuntman playing quarterback. Uh, uh, Mario Puig, 
uh, from, uh, that's how he put it. And I, I really thought that was perfect. He said he's Johnny Knoxville playing quarterback. And uh, that is, I, it's the best and out. I'm like, I, I can't get that out of my head now. Taylor Heineke, we all know this by now. When they win, he gets a bonus. It's like built into his contract because he's the backup and, but he's yeah. played, started yeah. a little bit. So he got yep. it built into his contract. He's literally playing with house money. Every time they win, he's literally playing with house money. Yes, he gets right. a bonus and he buys a pair of Jordans in the other team's colors every time they win a game. It's just his life is found money at this point. I love because this guy. an XFL backup. Like everything about his existence is that of I should not be here and I'm fully aware of it and I love oh him for God. it. Anyway. I do too. Let's talk about the game plan they had on Monday night because I do think it's a good way to understand them there's them offensively, okay? Mm-hmm. Divisional game, you know your opponent, you know what yep. they like to do. Year two of Jonathan Gannon, I think year two of Scott Turner calling plays for Washington All or right. year three? Year three. Year it doesn't three. matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. Washington Multi-years. comes into that game using 11 personnel on 79% of snaps, third highest rate in the NFL. Eagles know that. Yep. Against Philadelphia, only 59% 11 personnel, 36% of their snaps, they used two tight ends. They they were in 12 personnel on 15.7% over the first nine weeks, 26% against Eagles on Monday night. They had 11 plays of 13 personnel coming into the game. They had eight plays of 13 personnel against the Eagles on Monday night. And when they were in those heavy personnel packages, they were thrown out of it. Every time that they had multiple tight ends on the field, or not every time, but that's what they were trying to accomplish. When they were in those heavy personnel groups, they were throwing out of it. And a lot of those big plays you saw them hit in that game were out of those looks. Another small wrinkle and example. Terry McLaurin hits that big Ben crosser at one point in the game. The Eagles are playing quarters, okay? He's in Mm -hmm. a condensed split on the left side of the formation. He's the sole receiver to that side. So based on the rules... The corner of that side, I believe it's Darius Slay, has him all the way across the field. When you're in a condensed split, that's a long way for that corner to go. He has no right. shot. And that's just beating zone coverage by play design. And yep. the that side was voided out by a go ball. There's a ton of space. Heineke puts it into that space. That's what you see. Like it, There are elements of the offense where like, this makes sense. Like I understand exactly what they're trying to accomplish here, exactly how they're trying to attack this team, and you see that consistently. They're put in pretty good spots. Their quarterback play has been great, and they've run into some issues this year, especially along the offensive line and the injuries that they've had. But when you watch the offense, every single time I dig into it, I'm like, I get it. You know, I get what they're trying to do here, and they have enough good players, like the way the McLaurin is playing right now, where sometimes you see it all unfold in the way that you want it to. Right. And when Dotson was healthy, it's like, oh, okay. And, you know, and then how they're using Curtis Samuel. They had Curtis Samuel running a short yardage run. Like it's, it's, and none of this is gimmicky. That's what, yeah. I, that's what you're saying. They're putting in good spots. Everything is sound. Like Scott Turner is doing Norv Turner stuff, obviously, but it's just, you know, with a ton of window dressing. He is just trying everything possible. He's trying to, he understands what defenses are doing. And I think, that, that tight end example, the usage of their personnel, shout out to Armani Rogers, uh, former UNLV quarterback, Ohio Bobcat quarterback, tight end, Shrine Bowl, exceptional at the Shrine Bowl. And I was like, hey, I hope someone gives this guy a shot. The Washington, oh my God, I almost called him their old, old name. Washington gave him a real, a really good shot. And they were running, they were in a jet sweep to him play, uh, jet sweep to him a couple of weeks ago. Like they, they're using these guys, uh, in a lot of ways. So, you know, when Dotson is healthy and like he was playing, 
is that that just gives them another element where it's like, okay, the designs are there, and now we have guys that can take advantage of those designs. So it's like using tight ends made sense of going against that Eagles defense in the sense that the Eagles defense, when they're trying to load up, well, now Jordan Davis is hurt. But they Okay, they're trying to find their way to stop the they run. They have find to the, load up the box to stop the have run. To. They have yes. to, based on the person when, when, when you're in 13, John Bates is a hell of a blocker. So they have him in the game. And now they have these other guys. They have Armani Rogers and Logan Thomas is a good athlete. Those are matchup advantages against most yeah. linebackers and safeties if they have to guard them. So it makes sense. So why not run a sale route where you have an advantage with these guys or an over route or something? Again, none of these designs or these plays are new. It's just that they window dress the hell out of them. And it's cool. Early in the year, they ran a, a – I've said sale like 20 times because they run it like 20 times a game. They ran a sale route out of split backs, and they had Antonio Gibson that was week uh, one. releasing – yeah, it was week one, right? Releasing from the opposite side. It's again, it's a fever dream sometime, but it is sound. So I don't know. It's that was a game plan thing using those tight ends. But the fact that he can use that tool and this offense can use that tool shows like they understand. He understands what they're trying to accomplish. But it's an interesting team, you know, a team that I didn't think I'd be talking about in late middle of November. But I, I'm glad I'm talking about it. I, I, I'm enjoying watching this team on offense and defense more than I thought I would, like going into week like three. The defense is what we wanted the defense to be. Yes. They're fifth in the NFL in dropback success rate. They're fifth in rushing success rate. This is when you had the personnel that they had after the first year of Rivera, how well they're playing on defense. That's why last year was just like, what is going on? Like They yep. should just be so much better than this on defense. Yep. And we know they have dudes up front. Like yes. Allen, Payne is playing extremely well. You know, Sweat gives them a lot. We know that. I think they finally figured something out on the back end here. So they had obviously William Jackson's gone now. They cut him, I believe, right? I mean, it's that's how bad it was, and they've been trying to figure out the right pieces on the back end. Benjamin St. Juice is a six-three corner. They're trying to play in the slot at the beginning of the season in order to get him Fuller and William Jackson on the field at the same time. So Jackson's gone now. They have St. Juice back outside, which he should be. He had a bullshit pass interference call against him in that in that game. He's playing well. He He has the tools to be really good out there. That's where he should be. And so yep. they have Forrest, who had the pick, has had some really good moments this year. He is yep. an encouraging player. Cam Very Curl heady. is some – yeah. And they yep. Cam Curl is a good player. So they got yep. those two guys on the back end, and getting those safeties on the field is a good thing. And so they couldn't figure out, like, who do we play in the slot? How do we do this? And last week, for the first time, Bobby McCain was their main slot corner. I think he played 30 snaps in the slot on Monday. So now your best five is Curl and Forrest at safety, McCain in the slot, St. Juice and Fuller. And when you watch them last week, it's like, I think this is it. Like, yeah. I think this is your best group. And you combine that with the dudes they have up front. It's like, all right, like yeah. I can get on board with this. I think they're going to give people a really hard time over the course yes. of the season. And if their I offense agree. can have these one-off game plans where they're getting put in good positions, then I think that they're going to be a pain to deal with. I don't know what their ceiling is or how dangerous they really are with Heineke at quarterback, which is why they wanted to upgrade from him anyway. But I do think that what they're doing defensively, plus the punches they can occasionally throw on offense, it's yep. why they can catch a team like the Eagles flush the way that they did on Monday. And that, that Eagles offensive line is great, but that that's their defensive line is so freaking good. Like, like you said, Allen's playing like really legitimately at all pro level this elite year. Elite player. Payne, yes, he's a true elite player. And Payne, Payne's always been good, but now this year, it, gee, I wonder if it's his contract year because he is playing fantastic. And on top of it, Montez Sweat has played very, very well this year. So and now Chase Young's coming back. And then Chase Young's coming back. But this is a team 
Not every team's got a good old line. That's why they're always able to hang in games because they're going to make it hard as hell on you. When you're front. winning that matchup every single week. Every week. It's it's good. It's a good thing. It's, it's a, a good way to hang in games. Yes. Because in offense, you have to account for everybody. And, and it's like, well, we can't do that because so-and-so is matched up with this guy. Uh, we can't well, – well, oh, man, they have Allen on our guard. Well, we got to run away from him, but we're running right at Montez Sweat who's pushing the tight end into him. Like they – they that's what good players up front do. But the, the thing was, and two years ago when they had kind of like a surprisingly good defense and they were doing all the five-down stuff mm-hmm. and we were like, oh, okay, they won once. If they block it up though, you could dice them down the field. Now – these DBs are playing so well that now they're kind of – it's just giving them more answers and more ways to defend, like literally. And it's really – it's cool. It's a it's a very fun defense to watch and one that I didn't expect to be this fun to watch. And on top of it, like they're running like simulated pressures a little bit more than I was expecting. Um, they got the Eagles a couple times with those. I, I like that. And so this this unit's really coming together and they got some really, really fun pieces. I, I've become more of a fan of especially those DBs like St. Juice. Like I – he showed up. He showed up a couple of weeks when I've watched him, and now I think he's putting it together. He's still a raw player, but I think he he has he does some it's really, really young. Nice I mean, it goes yeah. a lot of those. He's a tools guy. Really young, and we'll and we'll get to that in a second. So the one yeah. other thing I wanted to bring up here, okay, St. Juice was the third round pick in twenty twenty one. Okay, so they, I mean he's still a very, a very young player. All right. So looking at the numbers of the two quarterbacks who have played for the Washington Football Team this year, they are pretty much identical That's and so it's in every single category it's so standard funny. stats advanced stats the, the numbers that are pretty much the same completion percentage yards per attempt epa per drop back epa per drop back against the blitz completion percent against against the blitz yards per attempt against the blitz all of them are in like half a yard of each other mid less often it's like two like 0. 0.2 0. 0.3 percentage points of in every single one of these stats Washington traded two third round picks <laughs> and is paying Carson Wentz $26 million this year. Taylor Heideke is the same. Yeah. The results are the exact same. I love that every single year teams are doing this where they yep. scramble and trade multiple picks to pay Carson Wentz $25 million a year. And by Thanksgiving, they're like, how do I control Z this shit? Like, I, yeah. how do I get out of this? Every year it's God. been happening. It's wild. They, they yes. would have been the same team. And Taylor Heineke's teammates like him more. Love him. The, the vibes are him. clearly better. It, it, it's, it's so frustrating to watch teams yes. do this over and over and over again. The biggest difference in their stats this season is, to me, maybe the most important difference. Taylor Heineke, let's start with Wentz. Wentz was targeting Terry McLaurin, the best player. On the Washington football team offense, by far. He is awesome. Terry McLaurin yes. is like a top 10, top 12 sort of receiver based on talent. So he makes alone. $20 million. <laughs> Correct. And none of us better than I. Not, no, and, no. And he got that contract and nobody was like, like yep. I, I don't know about that. Every yep. single person that actually watched was like, yeah, that dude's a dog. Like, I absolutely yeah, support awesome. that. Carson Wentz targeting Terry McLaurin on 16% of his routes this year, according to Next Gen Stats. Heineke, it's been 30 Heineke is throwing the ball to Terry McLaurin, their best offensive player, twice as often as Carson Wentz is. It is the most notable difference in their play this season is the fact that Taylor Heineke is like, that's my best guy. I'm going to throw it to him a lot. Heineke must be a better scout than Wentz. (laughs) He can evaluate talent a little bit better. But sometimes it's easy as that. I'm going to give the ball to my best player as much as possible, and hopefully good things happen, and usually they do. 
So now I'm going to go down a road that I am instantly going to regret. Okay. <laughs> if the defense can be pretty good moving yeah. forward into next year, I'm not saying they have to be a top five defense. If they can be a solid defense, because a lot of these guys are back. St. Just is yeah. young. Curl is young. Derek Forrest is young. Kendall yeah. Fuller is under contract. Uh, the defensive line, Allen has gotten an extension. Chase Young is yep. going to be there. Montez Sweat is under contract. Payne is a free agent, but that's really it. Most of the core on defense will be back. Defense is volatile. We know this. So relying on the same results might be a little dicey, but just yeah. stick with me here. If they can have that defensive core, and we're fairly excited about it. Their offensive line has been a nightmare this year. It's been banged up mm-hmm. the entire season. Cosby's been hurt. Ruye is on IR. Schweitzer's on IR. They've been shuffle on all those pieces. So theoretically, can they get a little healthier or better along the offensive line? And the pass catchers are going to be there. McLaurin just signed that extension. Samuel's still under contract, I believe, next season. Johnson was a first-round pick this year. So most of this team, a team that is about to be 6-5 and five and has some stuff about them that we like, is going to be the same. If they move on from Wentz this offseason, which they have, he has no guaranteed money left on his deal, they could have $45 million in cap space. Am I so wrong to think that if they got like a real NFL quarterback into this situation that they could be pretty good? Is that crazy? I don't think it's crazy. I can't believe I'm saying that. I, I just really can't. I, I don't. I think if they got the, that that Cousins tier quarterback, I'm not saying Kirk Cousins, but we all know the joke. It would be hilarious that, if it was Kirk Cousins, though. Oh, it would be right. hilarious. I know. I know. I, know. I don't think he, he would ever oh, looks. I, I think he has to wait for Dan Snyder to be out of there for for him to come back. But that, but that's the thing. But if you got that type of tier quarterback, man, they got so many fun pieces. They got a fun offensive design. They got a defense that'll keep them in a lot of games. That's an interesting kind of like setup for a team, so, and it's not one I thought like September second that I, I would not, be like. Thinking. I did not think I'd be here. I really didn't no, think I'd be here. I, I didn't thought either. we would get to the end of the season and be like, "This was a fun try." Like I understand yeah. why you wanted to get Rivera and have him be a stabilizing force. Like let's see what's yes. next. So here's here's the hypothetical that I have for you. If we want to keep going down this road, that again I'm instantly going to regret when somebody replays this a month from now. It's fun theory. The Las Vegas Raiders right now are slated to pick in the top three. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it might be time for them to figure out the next stage of their franchise. The Washington football team, I think is picking like 17th right now. If you're Washington and you have that $45 million in cap space, you could fit some version of his contract in here. We can talk about that in a second. I give you my 17th pick and a third rounder for Derek Carr. I mean, I think both teams say yes, don't they? I, I mean, Raiders have to. I, I mean, they're a team that need. I think they be, need to be building resources, even though it's before the year they're acting like they're like a playoff team. So, so Carr is a thirty-one I mean, million dollar base salary next year. Okay, you can. It's all base salary. So yeah, if you want to, you want to sign him to some sort of extension, throw some dummy yeah. money onto it. You could easily get his cap hit down next year down to like yep. twenty million without really stretching yourself that far, which still leaves you with twenty-five million dollars in cap space. <sighs> It's, it's interesting. I don't know, man. I don't know. I know. I know. Man, the NFC East. God, just all these teams. They're just finding ways to up all these avenues they're finding. But no, I, I know. And when we <laughs> first were kind of talking about these thoughts. We at just first, talked about like, that team is- for 15 minutes. <laughs> And this was supposed to be just a, a, a drive-by, like that. We're like, oh, yeah, they're, they're doing some fun stuff. No, but it, they're a more interesting team than I think. Yeah, you know, we especially didn't give credit for it, and it's yeah. I'm gonna keep my eye on them. What I was shocked about made. how interesting I found them when I started watching again. Agreed. I'm just like, all right, digging into some of this stuff. 
All right. Agreed. Last thing before we get to fourth screen here. It's time to check in uh, on Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. They play each other again this week. Uh, they just recently did, so we we have that in the yeah. you know, very recent past. I want to talk about Zach Wilson and kind of where he is right now and what it means for the Jets moving forward. The Jets have done a really, really nice job putting this team together. And I yeah. somebody was giving me shit recently because I saw Joe Douglas had all these picks and cap space this year, and that's why like – what he did this year shouldn't make an executive of the year. Like who, who gave him all of those? It, that's why executive of the year is hard because yeah. the moves you made two years ago help you make the moves that you're making now. But like, it's, right. should it be this calendar year? How do you end up doing it? Joe Douglas has done a very good job of putting this team together. They have a lot of things in place. Is Zach Wilson the guy to bring all of that together based on the way that he has played right now? Because the last time we saw him play against this Patriots team, it was a nightmare. It was an absolute disaster. So where are you at with Zach Wilson right now, halfway into his second season? I'm oh Man, it, a lot of the stuff that I was hoping to see growth from him, I haven't seen consistently. And he's so, shown flashes. That's that's what his whole game is. It's flashes. It's the trick shots. It's it's. But when he is the consistent stuff, when he has a clean pocket and where his eyes are calm and his feet are calm and he knows exactly where he's going with the ball – he looks great. I mean, he he will hit a in-breaker with the best of them, and they love it. LaFleur is that in that Shanahan offense. They'll go in the gun. They'll do the gun runs, you know, fake gun runs with a, a glance route, you know, a, a drift route, whatever you want to say, and he'll whip that ball in there with the best of them. It's really good to see that. Um, the touchdown the tie, uh, to Conklin against this team, uh, he hits it right in the red zone. And on that play, Zach Wilson takes a calm drop, his footwork's nice and sound, doesn't take an extra hitch, and places the ball perfectly. The thing is that is always just scary with him is that it's just not consistent. Has the offensive line been hurt? Yes. Elijah Vera Tucker was playing very well until he got hurt. Uh, Brees Hall was a nice, you know, really nice player for him. He gets hurt as well. They trade for James Robinson, but James Robinson, as much as I like him, is not Brees Hall. Brees Hall is a star. He, even as a rookie, it's like, oh, this guy's different. Michael Carter is a nice player. Again, they have all these nice players. The receiver course, great. Garrett Wilson, all these guys. Um, God, nice to see Denzel Mims out there again, by the way. But watching Zach Wilson is that a lot of times I feel like he just doesn't trust off his first read. I feel like he struggles to progress at times. And I was hoping to see maybe more growth from that. And I think just right when you were hoping to see that growth, he has played some tough defenses too. That's another thing. But hoping to see that growth and the play that sticks out in my mind is against the Broncos. The Broncos are amazing pass defense. Honestly, as much as we laugh at that Broncos offense, we've talked about on the show, that Broncos defense is very, very enjoyable to watch. But they bring a simulated pressure. Michael Carter, because he's a stud, picks up the protection. Easy. Like, doesn't even hesitate. It's a nice, clean pocket. But as soon as Zach Wilson catches the snap, he bails out of the pocket. And he goes into creation mode. He can't. It's good that he can do those things, that he can create. That's why he got drafted so high. His BYU tape I don't want him to be filled. in creation mode. I, no. I, I'm, out, I'm out on him in creation mode, and we'll no, talk about that because, in a second. In the NFL, because it's not he's not playing against you know these teams that were with the receivers with Dax Milne dunking on guys down the field. He's playing against real NFL defenses that are going to punish when you make these. I mean, ask Josh Allen. When you just like miss those throws just a little bit, they punish you. It's not just a drop ball or incompletion. So I think that it's he has to get to the, the – he has to do the easy stuff. He has to learn to be comfortable progressing from the pocket. He, his feet have to not be so happy. You know, it, he has the George Miller happy feet. 
And I, I think that just comes up sometimes. <laughs> you like that? Um, I, like that. I think it just comes up sometimes and that that's where the blemishes come. And it's like the longer the play goes, the more he becomes unraveled. And so I think it's just that he has to keep things short and tight to see more growth. And and he hasn't – I'm not – it's been a little disappointing because I thought I would see more of this. He's got uh, it's worse cool to see, yeah, some and that's what's a little scary. He's got that's what's worse. a little scary for me. Okay. Yeah, and so that's, last year, that's where I'm hoping. Last year it was negative 0.58 EPA per dropback when pressured. This year it's negative 0.98. Okay. God, it's dead geez. last in the NFL comfortably. That means that every single time he is pressured when they're that's dropping back, it's a point. They lose a point. It's a a rouge. (laughs) Every time time he goes rogue, it's a rouge. There we go. That's that's Josh Allen and Mahomes are at like zero. So it's a point difference between him and the best quarterbacks in the league when he's pressured. When he's not pressured, on plays where he is not pressured, where do you think Zach Wilson ranks in EPA per drop back? Oh, not pressured? Not pressured. Eighth? Fourth. Ooh. Patrick Mahomes, Tua, Jimmy Garoppolo, Zach Wilson. Jalen Hurts is Oh, my God. Tua, Jimmy G, and Wilson are all in the same bunch there. That's so, that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> so here, he's gotten worse under pressure than he was last year. We, we joked about this before. He has a six passer rating on pressure this year. Six. It's not a typo. You can see this two ways, in my opinion. Those issues he has under pressure and his inability to play with feel and operate as things get condensed, as things flash around him, which we were worried about coming into the league because BYU, he never had to do it. (laughs) There was a stone wall in front of him at all times. He had Brady Christensen was an NFL offensive lineman. They were so much better than the people that they played against. He never had to be concerned about it. So maybe he just can't operate when that's happening. Maybe he it short circuits him, and this is going to be something that follows him forever, and it can't be fixed. Or you take the opposite view, which I think is tempting. Yeah. Historically, play under pressure is volatile and unstable. It kind of bounces all around the place. What you do under clean circumstances is much more stable and predictive, and right. he's been really good in those situations. So when they get better up front, you think about all the offensive line injuries they've endured, right? Mm-hmm. Like Dwayne Brown, Cedric Abui is their right tackle right now. I know. Like that's where we're at. Nate Herbig. I mean, it's that's where we're at right now. They lost Becton, Fan, Max Mitchell, AVT. I they've built the rest of this thing up. There's no pass catcher excuses. It's not like nope. watching Tua last year or watching Justin Fields now. They have guys that can make plays. They have playmakers. Yep. They have receiving options. But if the line gets better and if he gets better protection. Can he kind of channel those areas where he's been really good? That becomes like the crucial Zach Wilson question. And I don't know what the answer is because it's impossible to know without better play up front because it's been bad. The last couple of years, it has been bad. Yes. Outright bad. Horrible. And and that, that, that is the, yeah, the optimist, the glass half full side is he got hurt in camp. So he missed the beginning parts of the year. He hasn't played a lot of games. He's young and that. These guys, these quarterbacks are coming to the league younger and younger. And that's what they're declaring earlier. You know, we got a lot more retro sophomores declaring and true juniors and all that. So I I do think it's like he just needs the reps. It's just that you want to see more. I'm saying the flashes of those good plays, the creation plays. It's just the flashes from the pocket when it was clean. It's just that you don't always see. And like, that's the thing is if I'm going to be, I've held on to every ounce of my stock 
uh, or an ounce, every paper of shred of Justin Fields stock and every shred of Trevor Lawrence stock. And I made excuses for them and how they're not getting help. I do think Zach Wilson has had the best situation as far as pass catchers and the offensive line has been up and down as far as pass protection. You know, I think they're pretty good in the run game. I think LaFleur does a great job in the red zone. He's one of the most creative red zone designers because they do all those gadget plays. But uh, having said that, he does have to show the growth of when it is clean. And that's why it's so hard when guys are just taking those lumps. The Justin Fields discussion we've had multiple times. They're taking the lumps and all the stuff. They're trying to do the right things. It's just that when it has been clean, I just haven't seen those glimpses of him being confident with it. Unless it's one, two, three, ball out. It's like, again, when the play is longer, if he has to take a seven-step drop, five out of the gun, it's like I'm holding my breath. If he has to turn his back to the defense, I'm holding my breath. But if he just gets to keep things clean and keep it, keep it tight in under that two and a half seconds or less, it's like, okay, I could see the glimpses there. But in the NFL, it's, you got to do more. You know, as an NFL quarterback, you have to do more. As what I was saying about wanting not wanting him to be in creation mode anymore, this is the last item I'm going to throw out. Time to throw three point of three seconds or longer in the NFL this season. He's completing twenty five percent of his passes, which oh is God. dead last in the league. He has a passer rating of thirty three, which is dead oh last in the league. His EPA per dropback is negative point five, which is dead last in the league. Mahomes is at positive point four two. So when they hold on to the ball for more than three seconds, there's a one point swing between Zach Wilson and Patrick Mahomes this year. Jeez. It's crazy. See, and, and that's great. And that's always, it's always fun when I know it's not fun for Jess fans ears, but it's fun for us when an eye test thing shows up in the stats because yes. that's, that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like every time that happens, it's like we're, the Jets are losing half a point when he's getting into that creation mode. So we've seen some glimpses from Zach Wilson. Like there's been some progress in clean pockets. I think there are elements where it's like, all right, I can start talking myself into this. There's been no progress by Mac Jones this year. He is dead last in the NFL in EPA per dropback this season after looking pretty good at times last year. Like we, by the end of his rookie year, we thought he was the most promising or in the moment right now, he was the best rookie quarterback where his ceiling was. That was always up for debate. Yeah. But he was the best rookie quarterback in terms of production last season. He's been the worst quarterback in the NFL this year. Statistically, what do we make of this? And. Dude, and I, I like I've been trying to answer this. I've talked to several people about this now. It's I know mentally Mac Jones gets it. I know Mac Jones can get hot, and and he's an extremely accurate passer. That's what I loved about him. I, I've I compared him to Chad Pennington coming into the league, <laughs> whereas I just thought he was supremely accurate. But you can see where we talk about room for error with these quarterbacks. This is where athleticism and arm strength come in and size is that he doesn't have much. And so right now, when he's not playing with confidence and able to rip those throws on time and and lead guys away from defenders and anticipate things, it, it looks bad. because And he has no creation belt. He's a better scrambler. We've said this before. He's a better scrambler he gets credit for, but he doesn't do the extended play extended plays. No. Getting out of the pocket and turning into a sprint out. He doesn't, turn, he doesn't do that. Watching him that's and Josh Allen play is like watching different sports. Oh, completely. And, and, that, and that's the thing. But this is... They are who we thought they were. And that's what him coming in the league. That's why I was a little – everyone's like, oh, this is who Kyle Shanahan wanted. I was like, really? He kind of already has this, guys. Like, he kind of – why would he want more – why would he want a Zoomer version of the millennial version that he's got? So I just think with Mac is that that's – those are the issues that he's going to always have is that he has to be on time every single time. And right now he's doing it one out of four times. And th- this offense that they're running, 
and we talk about Patricia and Judge in a sec. But this offense that they're running is very at you. It's a it's a it's a vertical run game, very at you. I actually kind of like the run game. It's just a, a blunt force instrument. That's what they do in the run game. But then the passing attack off of it is also vertical. Mac Jones is not a vertical quarterback. <laughs> that is that's not how he is built to win. I don't think. And you can see it was funny. It was like all of a sudden Bailey Zappi is throwing these same balls that Mac Jones is throwing. But all of a sudden it's like we talked about the coin flips. Bailey Zappi went like hit every coin flip. Mac yeah. Jones isn't hitting those. But that's why it's tough because he doesn't – everything has to be perfect with him. And the situation has to be good. Um, but so that's where I'm at with him is that now it's not good. He's not playing with confidence. They're messing with him and like how they're he playing with Zappi. He does not look comfortable. He looks very uncomfortable. Everything. And he every snap needs to be comfortable. If he's not comfortable, what is to. he? Because everything has to be on time. Everything has to be clicking for him to be able to operate an offense in the has NFL to. at a high level. And if it's not going to be, what are you? What? Where are you going? And that's why I just think that we knew this coming in and the results have been exactly what we expected. What they yeah. did with the offensive play caller stuff is malpractice. Yeah. Like, yeah I it know is. it was always going to be difficult to replace somebody like Josh McDaniels, who I know he's yeah. not doing well in Vegas, but he did a really fucking good job in New England awesome for a really job. long time. Cool. Cam, no- and- Cam Newton to Mac Jones and changing the offenses on the fly. Yeah, he, he did a great job. <laughs> and Mac played with so much confidence and so much comfort last year. He believed, yeah. he trusted what he was seeing all the time, and he doesn't anymore. And that is clearly just an articulation and a teaching of the offense sort of thing. You can feel yep. that. You can think about how different Tua looks this year. Now that he has one voice articulating the offense to him. Right. And it's not this disjointed thing of, well, I got three offensive line coaches and two offensive coordinators and we are doing this. And two this offensive and coordinators this. at the same time. And that's what, that's what he has now. He has two offensive yes. coordinators. Mac has two offensive coordinators at the same, same time. Thing. And it's just yep. like, it is so, so telling when you have an actual plan for your young quarterback and yep. how to get the most out of him and when you don't. And now yep. it becomes, all right, what are you going to do? You're going to roll with this again next year? Or are you right. going to find like a real person? To come in and be like, all right, we're going to do this. Instead of saying, yeah. well, these guys kind of know. They've been around. Like, it right. just, it, it's a huge misstep to me. Even and though now all their experiences just... in the same team. Like, oh, yeah, they've been around the league, even though it's all New England. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> but, but, but compare what they're doing right now with them and what uh, Luke Getzi's doing with Fields. Yes. And talk about playing to the quarterback's strengths. I don't know if, I don't know if people know this, but the quarterback gets the ball every freaking snap. So once you want to play to their strengths, because they're gonna, you know, have an effect on every single play, and they don't, they don't, they play like they have fields almost because of how they attack vertically, and they're running nine eighty nine with Mac Jones. Mac Jones, I just talked about that's a better player than you play. Mac Jones isn't hitting whole shots. Also, the Patriots and, receivers aren't better than you. No, no, I do like Jacoby Myers. He's a good player. He's a nice but, player. Jacoby Myers yes. is a nice NFL player. Nice, that, that's nice that's player. what I'm willing to do. Yes. Jacoby yes. Myers is a nice player. Jacoby Myers and isn't Hunter. dunking on dudes like Jamar no. Chase. No, he's a nice player. But no, that's that's exactly right. And that's – no, it's malpractice. And I think you hit it on the head. It is malpractice. And I, I'm disappointed because like week one against the Dolphins, you're watching Mac Jones. And, and I, I had a tweet go viral about it, You know, pat myself on the back here, and where he got he – got, I said he got sawed off like a magician's assistant yeah. because he, he's in the play. He is – He's getting everyone lined. Everybody. Running back, tight end. That He's stuff there, is good. Those. The, the, the yes. operation stuff is very impressive. They put everything on his plate, but no one's help, help a brother out. Like, help this yeah. dude out. Like, no one's doing it. Coaches or the players. And it's it's tough. It's tough to watch because, man, comparing him to last year, we had so much confidence. He's getting into verbal fights with Josh McDaniels. And Josh McDaniels is laughing because he loves it so much. Like, 
night and day to what's going on right now. Yes. It's, it's disappointing. All right, we are going to tweet out our picks because Nate had like two weeks worth of takes saved up, so we're running a little bit long here. <laughs> but we're going to get to win my fourth screen, and then we're going to get out of here. Awesome. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. All right, this is from Christoph Boer. By the way, you guys did awesome this week. I sincerely appreciate the effort. So many good ones. I'm not even joking. I was reading these today, and I was like, I can't believe this is my job. (laughs) It's so stupid. Uh, The fact that they pay us to do this is unbelievable. This has been the most rewarding segment. I'm so glad we do this now. I love this every week. I just sit here and read it. It's so much fun. All right. Christoph Bohr says, allow me to take you on a journey, one which will detail the incredible matchups to be witnessed between two NFC powerhouses. Jalen Ramsey versus Michael Thomas, Cooper Cup versus Marshawn Lattimore, Alvin Kamara versus Aaron Donald, the elite defensive mind of Dennis Allen versus the offensive wizard known as Sean McVay. It's beautiful. An exciting game of football, one that will spark conversations for years to come. This happened three years ago in the 2019 NFC Championship game. But don't tell Mickey Loomis or Les Snead that. These two general managers are the kings of tactically nuking their future in a desperate hope to win in the present, as if somebody forgot to tell them that, yes, in fact, time does move forward no matter how hard you try to stop it. Allow me to walk you through their masterpieces. The Rams have not picked in the first round since 2016, and they will not be doing so again until at the earliest 2024, although Les has tried his hardest to make sure they're they're not doing that either. Wouldn't Brian Burns be nicer to have instead? Similarly, the Saints traded seemingly their entire future, including what is currently projected to be the fourth overall pick to select Chris Olave, an honestly fantastic receiver who is unfortunately burdened with catching passes from the hollowed remains of 35-year-old Andy Dalton. (laughs) Every year, the Saints are faced with a Sisyphusian task of bending the laws of salary cap mathematics so they can afford to have Jameis Winston ride the bench while they watch high-quality homegrown talents like Marcus Wilson and Teron Armstead leave for higher paychecks and greener pastures. Where does this leave us today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because with Cooper Cup, Michael Thomas, and Marshawn Lattimore all injured this week and for the foreseeable future, get ready for the exciting matchups of Ernest Jones versus Jawan Johnson, Ben Skoranek versus Alante Taylor, and Troy Hill Hill versus Kevin White. Yes, that Kevin White. And Caden Ellis versus a combination of Darrell Henderson, Kyron Williams, and the ghost of Cam Akers. Let these teams serve as a fantastic reminder that someday we are all going to die. And in true Les Snead and Louis, Mickey Loomis fashion, it would just be more fun if we spent three hours of our short lives watching the three and six Rams take on the three and seven Saints rather than being responsible and worrying about what the future holds for us. Oh, man. Christoph, thank you very much. Bravo. You, you, Bravo. you absolutely crushed it. And guess what, buddy? You absolutely crushed it. It was great oh. to have you back. I'm Thanks, so glad. Man. That you're back. I'm so glad that you and the family are doing well and everybody is healthy. Uh, we will not be doing a Thursday night recap because you do still have to feed a baby every once in a while. Yes. So we will get back to doing those after Thanksgiving. Uh, yes. We'll update you on the Thanksgiving schedule on Twitter uh, and then early next week uh, after we do the Sunday night show. But we'll have a little bit of a tweak, but not a ton. We'll still have a lot of podcasts coming to you guys next week. So if you haven't, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can do that here. You can do that if you are listening in the description of the podcast. There should be a link. Please leave a reading or a rating or review of the show on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you listen. It really does help us. So if you've yes. liked it this year, you know, let us know. Subscribe to The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash football show is where you can do that. We will be back on Sunday night. Until then, please listen to The Football GM with Mike Sando and Randy Mueller. Go listen to Prospects to Pros with Dane and Andy. 
Really appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.